me ask you to take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at just a few verses there in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. As we read now God's Word, we do so as an act of worship. Let's give attention to it now. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. I will delight in your statutes. Amen. Would you please be seated? Tonight we are thinking about, um, we're in the second chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, thinking about God's nature. What... What kind of a, of a God is He? And, and throughout the Bible, as you read, you, are, you and I are exhorted to know the Lord. And we remembered um, last week, maybe the week before, Danny preached last week, Pastor Danny did last week. And so a couple of weeks ago, we remembered that in his high priestly prayer, um, Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know the eternal God. And so, it is, it is the essence of living to seek to know God. And, and as we think of knowing God, we think of, of knowing Him in a, in a relational sense. And somebody might say, well, you know, do you know Brian McCullough? Or do you know Spunk Brock? And you would say, well, yeah, I know him. We and I, we, we go to church together. And you think in a relational sense. And, and certainly, it is, it is life to know God in relation. Because we... We come to Him through Jesus Christ by faith. And through Christ and by His Spirit, life flows in and through us. But we should also think of knowing God as, as knowing Him. That is, knowing the facts of who He is. You see, He made you to know Him. It is essential to define Him properly. And tonight we're thinking about um, God's relationship to His creation. And I'll, I'll put a question to you. Have you ever wondered why God created you in all things? Um, I, I remember you know, back in my childhood being gathered around with my family um, and, and this question coming up, why did God create us? And, and your experience may be different from mine. Um, but as we think of the, uh, of the answer to this question and knowing that this is one of the ultimate questions. Some suggest that God created us because he needed companionship. Have you, have you ever been exposed to that kind of a thinking? God created you because he needed companionship or wanted companionship. This leads us to some very bad conclusions, and as I want to work that out with you as we go through um, our sermon tonight. We're going to think about God in relation to Himself, and then God in relation to mankind. Um, but what we're going to see is, I'll put it to you this way, as a major point for our sermon, that you can rest at ease 
Because God doesn't need anything from you. You can rest at ease because God doesn't need anything from you. And so we're going to establish that, first of all, by looking at God's relationship to Himself. And I want to read to you just the way that the confession puts this in chapter 2. It says it this way. This is paragraph 2. God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of Himself. I, um, when I was in seminary, I learned what the word for this is. I'm going to share it with you, and you're going to say, well, I might as well share some Greek or Hebrew with me. It's the word aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. And um, I happened to come across a little minute and a half clip of R.C. Sproul. And he said, he wrote, writes the word on the blackboard, aseity. And he says, for you... And most people never think about this word ever at all. He said, but when I think about this word, when I read it in a book, it sends chills up my spine. Because that little word, aseity, describes the absolute glorious perfection of our God. He has everything he needs in and of himself. And as we think of this, I want to maybe give you some, some helpful applications of it. But, but the first thing is that God is totally independent of creation. Totally independent. There is no um, umbilical cord attaching God to His creation. He has all life in and of Himself. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10, we read, uh, that God is the living God. And, and I'll encourage you, as you go through maybe First and Second Samuel, you'll find um, a repeated phrase. Men, as they swear an oath, they say, um, as my soul lives and as the Lord lives, I will do this or that. But Jeremiah depicts God as the living God. And he's distinguishing God from dumb idols. In other words, he can hear you and he can see you. And he has all this life in and of himself. The confession reminds us that God has all glory in and of himself. Turn over to Acts chapter 7. This is maybe just a couple of pages over for you. We started out in Acts 17. We're going to go back there. Acts chapter 7, let's start reading in verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. You know, um, before... Well, let me put it this way. You are not a parent until you have children. I I don't care how many pets you have. Okay, You are not a parent until you have children. And when you have your first child, suddenly you become what's called a mom or a dad. When God called Abraham and he gave birth to a visible people, He didn't do so to obtain glory. 
He did so to display His glory. He appeared to Abraham, as Stephen says here in his speech, at the very beginning as the God of glory. And think about it. In the moment when when he called Moses, and Moses, he said, I'll turn aside, and he sees this this, um, this, uh, 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 burning bush. Why is it important that God appeared to Moses in that moment as the as the God who has all that he needs in and of himself. Why was that important? Well, because he's teaching us that he's not redeeming a people to obtain something for himself. He has everything that he needs in and of himself. God called Abraham that he might manifest his glory in and through him as a redeemer. So think about this personally. God did not need to redeem you. He did not need to save you. He did not send forth His Son to die on the cross to satisfy some lack in Him. He did it for your sake. He did it to satisfy your need, not His. He has all goodness in and of Himself. The psalmist in Psalm 119, as he's going through and he's He's meditating on the statutes and the rules and the oracles of God and, and, and loving the Lord for giving Him His Word and, and wanting to meditate on every jot and tittle of God's Word and magnifying Him for it. He says this in verse 68, You are good and you do good. You are good and you do good. And that's especially important because in verse 67, he talks about the fact that God has given him affliction. And so immediately after that, he says, Lord, even in my affliction, you are good and you do good. And how could he say that? Because it was through that affliction that God brought him to salvation. God is good even in his justice and in his wrath. God is good. He has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of Himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, we read that He will display at the proper time that He is this blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is blessed. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, Paul writes this, to them belong the patriarchs, that is the Jews, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. God has all life, all glory, all goodness, and all blessedness in and of himself. Do you know that God at all times enjoys all blessedness? And that he supplies all that he needs. I want to give you just a couple of reasons why this is important for you to remember. I think there are three major effects, and we could go on and on about this, but three major effects from this. One, God did not get life, glory, goodness, and blessedness from another higher being. He is the end. He is the one true God. 
There is no one above Him. He is the uncreated being. No one gives Him life. No one gives Him goodness. No one gives Him blessedness or glory. All of these things belong to Him as God. He alone is the Most High God. And as you see Him or read about Him working in redemptive history, you are never to think, well, He's getting something for Himself. No other being stands above Him. It also means, and and here's why this is important for you to remember, it's also important because when it comes to life, glory, goodness, and blessedness, He can supply all of these things to you. And next week we're going to look at this because He is a fountain of life to all of His creatures. You can never wear Him out. Ever. Third, it means that there is no need in God that humanity supplies. As we go back to that question, well, why did God create us? And, and some would answer that and say, well, he, he, he was there by himself and he created us for companionship. Well, no. And in fact, if you answer that way, I want to give you a reason maybe to think that, that actually that, there's a real problem with thinking that way. So we've seen God's relation to himself. Let's look now at God's relation to, to mankind. Is there any sort of dependency? Is, there, is it a parasitic relationship? Is it a symbiotic relationship? Or are we, God gives us a little bit and, 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 and we give him a little bit? Is that the way that we are to think of it? The, again, the confession is, is so good here, reminding us that, that God doesn't need anything from us as we go to the confession chapter 2. in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. So as we think about God's relationship to creation, we could say, well, what does God need? What, why do we exist? Do we provide something for God? And the immediate answer is no. God doesn't need anything from us. In fact, if you think about it, if for some reason you and I ceased to exist, it would take nothing away from God. It would not take any life away from God. It would not take any glory away from God. It would not take any goodness. And it would not take any blessedness away from God. It would not disturb God's peace for one moment. It would not diminish His joy at all if you and I cease to exist. Go back to Acts chapter 17. Verses 24 and 25. Let's just pick up in verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see that Paul is sort of working there logically. He's saying, look, if we are to say that all life comes from God, then we can't say that we feed back into him anything because he would have to be the source of all life. Now, but, but I want you to think about this for a moment because Paul is, he's 
reasoning with Greek and Roman men. And he's talking to them about their own gods. And, and they live in a culture where gods are sort of like Marvel superheroes. Okay? Maybe you've ever seen the movie Jason and the Argonauts, and, and you've got this scene where the gods are sort of in this ethereal, cloud-like space, and they're looking down, and they've got a, 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 a glass where they can see what's going on in certain parts of the world, and, and they are giving things to men, and men are returning things to them. And, and the gods are imperfect, and they fall, and they mess up at times, this was the Greek and the Roman mentality of the gods. They're superhuman, but they have faults. And, and we add things to them. Well, here comes Paul, and he's saying, no, men, if God gives us life and breath, this God needs nothing from us. You build your spectacular temples, God doesn't live in those. He doesn't live there. That's not his home. He is the infinite God. The true God. He does not need men. And this also, this means another thing. He doesn't need our ceremony. When He created the, the sacrificial ceremonial system of the Old Testament, He didn't do that because He needs to see men doing these things. When we perform, when we have the Lord's Supper, this is not a ritual that we perform to fulfill some need in God. All of this is a demonstration of His condescension to us. His love for us. His recognition of our weakness and need. I remember that this had a profound effect on me. You think of coming from a place where you... Well, God created me because He needs some companionship. That makes me kind of special, doesn't it? So God, I add something to the Lord and, and He loves me and my mom and dad tell me that I, God made me unique. And so that means I fulfill a unique need in the Lord. And I'm here because I do something special that nobody else can, can do. But then when you stop and you get to the place where you recognize, actually, if I ceased to exist... It would be meaningless to the being of God. Wow. That kind of puts us in our place, doesn't it? Because it reminds us in my prayer time and in my meditation on who God is that He is mindful of me at all. That's a wonder. That He would save you, that he would write your name in his book of life. That's profound. The confession goes on that not only does he need nothing from us, he doesn't derive any glory from us. Do you know that if New Covenant went out of existence, if this church went out of existence and we stopped singing here, it would not diminish God's glory one iota. Turn over to Luke chapter 17. This is one of those really challenging statements from the Lord. Because you, maybe you've had a day where you've, you feel like, I've, I've, you met somebody in the grocery store and you, you helped, helped somebody to their car to unload their groceries, or you found a wallet. 
And you went above and beyond. You went to customer service and you said, I found a wallet. Can you find out who this belongs to? And you're like, not a lot. And just remind that not a lot of people would do that. Okay, so I want you to know I'm a very moral and ethical person. And you think that that says something about you. Like, I'm, I'm extra good today. We'll look at Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Uh, let's, ju- let's just read the whole uh, parable there, verse 7. W- will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That, that day, when you helped that lady to her car and you unloaded her groceries, or that day when you remembered all the to-dos that your wife asked you to do, or that day where you turned the wallet into customer service, or that day that you chose where you, maybe you normally bill somebody for something, you say, well, I'll, it's on the house, okay? Help you out. If you didn't do those things, it wouldn't diminish God's glory one bit. And he teaches you here that when you've done all that, if you keep the Ten Commandments, if you ever kept the Ten Commandments perfectly in one day, you would simply say, I've done what you told me to do. You might be tempted to say, hey God, look at me. Wasn't I good? And you might expect a special attaboy. Jesus says you only did what you were supposed to do. This is one of the reasons that you and I could never pay off our sin debt. But here's the other thing. Now you can sit and marvel that God does reward you for good deeds. What a wonder. When you owe an infinite debt, not only would he redeem your soul by the blood of his precious son, but he would choose to reward you for the deeds that you should have done anyway. Imagine how life might change if God did need something. Think about it. Use it as a mental exercise. How would life change for me if God did need something from me? Now imagine if, if there was sort of a, a tax and every Thursday we had to go down to the town square and we paid the tax in gold and there was somebody to collect it. Would that change your view of God? What if somebody brought more gold than you? Would God love that person more? Would you trust him to be a just judge, to be unbiased in the affairs of men? Would you try to manipulate him? Would men try to manipulate him? Would that affect his character? Would he be truly unchangeable if he depended on you for something? He can't be.
If you and I didn't exist, God would not miss us. And that's a good thing. Because we know that since he has all perfection, all life, all glory, all goodness, all blessedness in and of himself, that means that his word is perfectly true. I, I never have to wonder if God is going to be faithful, if he's going to be swayed away from me and favor someone else because they're better at something than I am. Or if somebody is, is better at preaching or better at serving or better at praying, maybe God will love them more. No, because he doesn't need that person either. But he is pleased as the confession says, to manifest His glory in you, by you, unto you, and upon you. In other words, if God's glory was a movie theater, do you know what you would be? If God's glory was a movie, you would be the theater, the audience, the projector, and the screen. You would be the theater. God is pleased to manifest his glory in you. Not because you're unique, but because he has created you to manifest his glory. His wisdom and goodness and glory are manifest in you in the unique way that he's made your body. And the more that we discover about how the human being functions, we discover the glory of God. He is pleased to manifest His glory by you. You are the projector of God's glory to other men. Both in the unique way that He's constructed the human body, but also in the way that He has especially gifted you to serve other people. You do that for the glory of God. And when you serve others, when you give yourself to the church of Jesus Christ, God is using you like a projector to display His glory to other people so that they will, by your good deeds, what did Jesus say? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the audience. When men serve you, you thank God. Thank you for stirring that person up to do that. Lord, I receive that from your hands. You are the screen. He is pleased to manifest His glory upon you. Principally in this way. He drew you out of the kingdom of Satan and set you in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is renewing your mind day by day so that with each passing day as you give yourself to His Word, as you learn to know God as He truly is, what are you doing? You're seeing His glory manifest. This is the Christian goal, to see Christ in all of His glory. You can rest at ease because God doesn't need anything from you. If you don't wake up tomorrow and you find yourself in the presence of the Lord, or if He were to cause us to cease to exist, it would not take anything away from us. When you fail, when you sin, you don't take away from the glory of God. God created you. Think about this now. He created you in order to supply your every need. 
You are not a drain on him. And it is right for you to pour out your heart in prayer, asking him for all your needs. Never hesitate. That's why you exist. When you seek God's When you seek God for your life, glory, goodness, and blessedness, you are magnifying Him as He intends. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before You as the God who is Ase, the One who has all life, all glory, all goodness, all blessedness in and of Himself, that You are completely sufficient to Yourself, that You derive nothing from us, You don't need anything from us. And Father, we thank You for the rest that this gives us. You don't need our work. We praise You that You are pleased, O Lord, to redeem us, to write our names in Your book of life. It is a wonder that You're mindful of us at all, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us. You don't need to. Thank you for redeeming us. You didn't need to. You could have spared your son's life and and been perfectly content. You could have stopped with Adam and lost nothing. And so we remember, O Father, that you act as a completely free agent, the only one in the universe. And we praise you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen.